Valar Dohais. Hello, and welcome to 2C1C, a Game of Thrones living card game podcast founded in 2010 by myself, Will Lentz, Greg Atkinson, and Brad Zeiler. These days, my co-hosts may differ, but we're generally pulling from at least some familiar core voices. Many thanks go out to Fantasy Flight Games' George R. Martin, Card Game DB, and Josh Woodward for the CC licensed music you're hearing now. This is Season 5. Hey guys, this is it. A whole brand new season to kick the cast off. And with that new season, we're going to have a whole new arrangement of hosts. Okay, no, not really, but we do have Greg returning this week. And uh, a little bit of a different format. Uh, We were uh, lucky enough to get an interview with Mr. Michael Hurley from FFG, uh, who is, as I understand it, the other big man on the uh, design team, along with Nate, for second edition. Uh, so enjoy this, uh, followed up briefly here by this little intro, and uh, we'll see you back next week. Hey, and welcome back, uh, dear listeners, to a great episode tonight. We've got a, a bit of a scoop. Unfortunately, we were unable to make it up to the uh, the big FFG State of the LCG Union uh, announcement due to, to travel time and such. But uh, one of FFG's very own uh, has been kind enough to uh, step into the show for a little bit here and go ahead and kind of give us a little bit of insight. Hopefully, maybe get a little more, a uh, little more insight to some of the things that were brought up then during the announcement itself, and uh, see where the discussion leads a little bit. So, uh, I present to you, Mr. Uh, Michael Hurley, who hopefully several of you know. If if not, I'll uh, I'll let Mike tell you a little bit about what he does at your favorite gaming company. Thanks, Will. Um... So I'm Michael Hurley. I'm the Vice President of Product Development at Fantasy Flight Games, and I also personally manage the LCG team. Um, That team consists of seven people. Um, The senior designer is Nate French, and I'm sure your listeners are pretty much aware of who the others are, Damon Stone and Eric Dahlman, Brad Anders, Caleb Grace, and Matt Newman are all part of that team. Um, I've been with Fantasy Flight Games since 2007 and was uh, privileged to be able to work with Nate on the Game of Thrones core set and, um, and every Game of Thrones LCG product uh, since. Oh, wow. Would that have basically been your first uh, project with FFG? No, I spent... Um, I spent the first few months uh, doing a bunch of miscellaneous things. My very first project at FFG was a game called Rattlesnake, and um, which you can look it up if you really want to. It's, uh, <laughs> and uh, and I did some uh, did some role playing game stuff. Okay, cool. 
So what's the what's the day to day kind of consist of now, or do you just kind of coordinate the the projects, or uh, what aspect right. of that are you on? Well, so as as the vice president of product development, I um, I'm in charge of a, you know a whole variety of teams that in total are about fifty people um, that range from game designers, developers, game producers, graphic designers art directors, um, and then a whole army of freelance writers and editors and playtesters. And I also oversee um, the licensing side of things, um, the Star Wars uh, uh, license and Games Workshop and Middle Earth. Um, I kind of I help ma- manage and maintain all of those relationships and coordinate all of the approvals. Um, I've got some staff that help me with all of that. So, um, so in my spare time, I also, you know, do a little bit of development work on the LCGs. Um, I just want to jump in here. This is Greg Atkinson, and I, I want to make sure I got this clear. Since you're over the LCG team, does that make you Nate French's boss? Uh, yes, it, yes, it does. <laughs> All right, so uh, I think I think you know you gave us a wonderful description, but pretty much all the listeners want to know is this is Nate French's boss. Yes, and Damon Stone's Nathan. boss. Uh. Also good. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously the story of the day, and I realized we just had a wonderful World Championship weekend. We have winners for the Joust and overall and Melee, um, Sam and, and Alex and Kid, and, you know, we, we celebrate their victories. But I really feel like the story coming out of this weekend is the reboot. The mammoth in the room, you might say? Yes. Yeah. The, the second edition of Game of Thrones, the card game, uh, which we plan. Oh, hello? I think we lost Oh, hello? And Michael, you just cut out for about the last ten seconds. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'd start that that uh, whole thought over from second edition. Okay. Um, yes. So the second edition of Game of Thrones, the card game, which we're going to relaunch with the new core set at Gen Con 2015. So obviously, this is a big deal. Um, it's it's a big deal on on a number of fronts. You guys, you know, announced rotation for all your games. And Game of Thrones got a little special treatment, uh, mostly because it's the it was the first, um, you know. And as you told us, Michael, you know, you came on at 2007 and you were involved in the first core set, which was released in 2008. So we are now going on six years of that particular product being in the competitive scene. Um, actually, a little bit longer since it was released at Gen Con and the first chapter pack cycle, the Clash of Arms cycle, actually has a, a slightly longer uh, a lifetime as well. Yeah, it's, in fact, I think what maybe a lot of people don't remember is that the Clash of Arms cycle predates the core set itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was a, that set was originally designed as an expansion to the Five Kings edition, which was the last set in the CCG era of the game. And um, basically, shortly before we sent the Clash of Arms set to press, we made the decision to switch over to the fixed pack model. So we put out the the Clash of Arms cycle, and then we followed that up with the core set after that. And so part of the 
part of the problem that we had that we've always had with the core set um, is that it it was never really a full reboot for the game because it had to we were obligated to make sure that the core set was compatible with the uh, with the current environment in the collectible uh, side of the game, which at the time included all of Winter Block, Iron Throne Block, and Five Kings Edition. So that meant that all the keywords that existed in that um, in that environment um, and uh, and a bunch of other mechanics like influence all had to be supported in the core set itself. So uh, there was an awful lot of uh, kind of overhead that uh, that went into that core set, and that was part of what contributed to the core set, you know, not really being a great entry point for people who were brand new to the game because. There was just there's a lot of extra complexity in that core set that was not necessarily represented like the complexity in the rules that were not necessarily fully represented in the cards themselves. Uh, Michael, can you speak a little bit to the state of the CCG back at that point in time? Um, I realized that the switch to LCG wasn't overnight. The Clash of Arms chapter pack cycle was released. The core set was released. And then shortly after that is when Christian Peterson made his announcement that the game will be fully moving to the LCG model. But can you speak a little bit to the state of the game? You know, um, at least my impression was, had you guys stuck with the CCG model, Thrones wouldn't exist today. Yeah, that, that's correct. Um, Thrones was in a um, Thrones and Cthulhu both Call of Cthulhu um, both were in um, a very rough spot. In about uh, 2006 and 2007, um, where we, um, and I don't, I don't know all the details because again, I was I was brand new to the company at the time, but um, but I do know that both games were troubled. Um, we were not we were not seeing any uh, growth in either one of those games, and in fact, sales were starting to dip a little bit, and. Um, so there was genuine concern that the that we were on an unsustainable course uh, for those games, and the the production costs that go into doing uh, randomized booster packs uh, is is quite enormous compared to like what it would cost to, for us to put out a fixed format card game like such as Citadels, for example, which is just a little Ooh, twenty dollar card I game. Love that, that we game. Hope. Yeah. And so it's like you you compare like something like Citadels, where it's just like, well, Citadels is really it's just a card game, it's just a box full of cards, and it was so much cheaper to make something like that than it was to make randomized booster packs. Um, that um, that we thought that you know that really the only way that we could keep the game alive was to cut the production costs of the game. And the best way to do that really was to um, switch over to a fixed format that didn't have the randomization. And in fact, we had dabbled in that a little bit with um, with a set of uh, packs known as the Forgotten Lore packs for Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, Call of Cthulhu was even more troubled than, than Thrones was. Call of Cthulhu had a much smaller player base, and um, and so the the forgotten lore set of packs were called Cthulhu. That was that was our very first attempt at doing a a non randomized um, expansion for Cthulhu, and it was just one of those things where just like we thought going into that 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 was going to be like the last thing that we were ever going to be able to do for Cthulhu, but there was some uh, there were some things that the designers still wanted to 
do for the game. So they made a small set of cards, and they were just printed um, in a very small print run as little fixed packs. It's just kind of a little uh, swan song for that game. That was the intention. And it turned out that um, people really liked that. And um, we had distributors uh, that were asking us, you know, if they wanted to order more of those uh, forgotten lore packs. And so then we felt like we just kind of hit on something like, aha, what if we just did that with everything? And so we we took the Clash of Arms expansion and we converted that into a fixed packs, and we put that out there, and people seem to, to like that as well. And at least when I say people like that, distributors definitely like that. Retailers like that. Some players liked it. A lot of players at first did not. Um, and, um, I mean, the, the whole LCG concept took a long time for it to kind of coalesce into what it is today. Um so yeah, but it was in 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 the long run, it proved to be the um, the thing that not only saved both Game of Thrones and Call of Cthulhu, but um, but kind of launched a whole new product category for the company. Man, there's so many uh, different things I, I kind of want to jump off of from that response. But just in a kind of a general sense, I am a little curious. Is there anything that really kind of seemed like a turning point on the the player's acceptance of that new uh, format of the LCG? Well, it, um, it it took a while. I think the I think the thing that really um, that was the hardest for people to accept was when we announced the rotation of all of the collectible product for for Game of Thrones and just said no the entire you know the game is only now the because that that announcement was done fairly suddenly there was not a lot of warning and Five Kings really wasn't that old I think Five Kings had barely been out for a year I think so and um, and so that I think that that was where we got the most backlash was um, was not so much the switch to the fixed format distribution, but of the of the kind of of the the early rotation of Five Kings edition in particular. So the um, long um, kind of swan song year here to first edition uh, kind of reads as a direct response to that prior attempt. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I mean, we definitely learned some lessons from that whole experience of, of with the LCG conversion. So. Is it, is it possible you could tell us any other lessons you've learned that perhaps we can be looking forward to a more smooth transition? Well, I mean, I think we've learned a lot about what makes a good corset product. I agree. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the Conquest corset in particular is one of the best products that we've ever made across all categories uh, at FFG. I mean, it's it's um, th- there's just there's there's a lot of great content in there. The split rulebook format is something that I am a big fan of and have been pushing mm-hmm. for for a long time. And um, yeah, I just I think it's a great product, and I'm very excited to um, to push the, those concepts into um, the new Game of Thrones core set. You know what uh, was a phenomenal innovation in there, along with the rulebook, the little. Um Zipper lock plastic baggies for the cards instead of the shrink wrap. Fantastic. Oh yeah, that was something that our manufacturer suggested that we that we do because um, it was just it was just easier for them um, to do that than try to uh, than try to wrap those uh, individual decks of cards. 
So, so yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you like that, Michael. Uh, if oh, I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the the I was going to ha- have a note about the smaller size of the box on the Conquest. Oh course. yeah, and um, that's something that um, that's something that we decided to do mostly as just a cost savings measure because it's very expensive to ship big boxes and it's less expensive to ship smaller boxes. Mm-hmm. And um, when you consider that, you know, like most of the core sets have got a lot of empty space in them. Uh, you know, when we took a look at the shipping costs, we realized that we were paying an awful lot of money to basically ship air. So, uh, so, so we we talked to our man, talked to our manufacturer, and we and we did some math, and we realized that if we just if we shrunk the box a little bit, and the box is really only one inch smaller, it's a ten inch box as opposed to eleven inch box, and so it's not as tall too. But if we shrunk the box even just that much, uh, we saved a huge amount of money in shipping costs. Well, it's a great um, so yeah, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, Makes my wife much happier having things around. <laughs> well, related to those production costs, I'm curious. I, I think a lot of players are kind of divided on the uh, oh, the little plastic or resin. I forget now which they were uh, title pieces in the first edition core set. Do you think we can expect uh, something like that or? Kind of, kind of trimmed down to cardboard components like uh, Warhammer Conquest is. Uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say that the that the plastic uh, multiplayer title figures in the original core set was that was an experiment. Um, we were trying to, we didn't really at the time we didn't really know like what what we needed to do to make a, a core set product feel uh, attractive and like it was a good value to mm-hmm. people, and so. Um, so we thought, well, including some cool plastic has always worked for us uh, for the board game side of things. So we decided to do that for a card game too. And and you know, I don't really think that it, in the long run it was the the best decision because we haven't really done it since it's really Game of Thrones and Cthulhu are the only two games that had that kind of plastic in them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's safe to say that we've moved moved beyond that that Michael, idea. Yeah. If six years ago the CCG was on its last legs, um, can you speak a little bit to the difference of the state of the game now? Uh, during the State of the Union address, you know, you guys showed a slide that showed, you know, the sales of your LCGs in general and the increase you've had. And at least over the last, you know, six years, our tournament attendance has increased significantly. In 2009, I believe we had somewhere between 20 and 30 at the World Championships to the point where this year we had 141 in the Joust portion of the World Championships. So we've seen a huge increase in growth of attendance. Had you guys seen um, a similar growth in the sales specifically to the Game of Thrones LCG? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it's There's no question that... Um that from a sales perspective, Game of Thrones LCG has never been in a better place than it is now. Um, we've got uh, like the sales volume across the LCG category, you know, doubled just in uh, just from 2012 to 2013, and um, that was largely because we put out both Star Wars and Netrunner in the same year. Um, but um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, the whole, the entire category um, has really never been stronger, and Game of Thrones in particular is, is doing really well. And that was the big thing that made us worried about the decision to switch to second edition because there was a lot of a lot of discussion and fear internally that we were going to be effectively killing a golden goose uh, if we if we move forward with that decision. Um, and so we we spent a lot of time talking about whether or not we should do it at all. And in the end, I'm glad that we decided to do it because as I tried to make it clear in the presentation, the second edition is about committing to a long-term success for the game. It's like we want Game of Thrones to be around and successful and thriving for at least another 10 years. And I don't think that there is really a, a good way to assure that that would have happened without doing a whole reboot of the game. You, you mentioned you guys have been talking about this for a while. Can you share how long this discussion had been going on internally of whether you should or how you should go about doing this? Yeah, I think the idea was first suggested um, around March of this year, March of 2014. And um, I, we didn't really commit to it, I would say, until that summer. So uh, it, it was... Another concern of mine was, you know, was the secrecy of the information because, you know, like the entire LCG team and the entire organized play team at, that was at Gen Con, everybody knew at that point that we were going to be doing a second edition. But it was critical that that information didn't get out until we were ready to do a, a, kind of a proper announcement um, for, the, for the whole community in November. And so that was... Um, this is also the reason why we, you know, uh, last spring we, we did the, uh, the little article on our website. I think that was in April where we said, hey, we're going to make a big announcement um, at the World Championships. So, you know, stay tuned sort of a thing that was. And at the time, we knew at the very least we were going to be talking about rotation. And we had we had been debating whether or not we were also going to be talking about a new edition of Game of Thrones. So, But you guys are still in the debate process. You know, one of the things that I've heard from people online is complaints of, oh, FFG knew about this in April, you know, and they're just now telling us, yada, yada, I bought X amount of product in the last six months since then. But it sounds to me from what you said, you guys were actually still in you know, the internal decision-making process had not come to this conclusion, and, you know, you just knew something had to be done. Exactly, yeah. So we knew, we knew in March that something had to be done, and we, we had, we, I created a whole rotation plan specifically for Game of Thrones um, that was uh, just this big spreadsheet that was basically my suggestions for how we could handle it um, in a way that would, address at least some of the problems that we, you know, that we were facing with the game. And I showed it to, I showed it to some of the other managers and I showed it to the LCG team and everybody agreed. Yeah, I guess it could work, but nobody, nobody seemed, you know, convinced that, yeah, that was definitely the thing that we should do. And so that it was just like conversation after conversation. Finally, by the time we got to about midsummer, that was when we finally, you know, said, okay, no, really. It's like, we, we can't do a halfway measure with this game. It's like, we've got to do, we can't just do the safe thing. 
the safe thing would have been to just you know come up with some kind of rotation plan, maybe replace the core set, and hope for the best, and maybe get another two or three good years out of the game. And after that, we it, there was this big question mark. Okay, the, you know what then? Um, and it was like the more we talked about that plan, the more we realized that nobody really liked it, and that what we really needed to do was something that was brave. And relaunching the whole game with a new edition and a completely reset card pool was the brave thing to do. I think from a perspective of rotation, because I've heard some people say they wish they would have just instituted a rotation for first edition and, and slowly move us into second edition. But, you know, as, as you've stated, as you discussed the, the initial move to the LCG six years ago, you know, the these chapter packs at the very beginning, weren't even designed with the perspective of an LCG, particularly Clash of Arms. And then over the years, they haven't been designed with the idea of rotation. I mean, if if the idea is to rotate out the first two chapter pack cycles, of which the summer and winter cycle would be included, we have cards that interact with summer and winter, you know, littered all throughout, you know, the last six years of chapter pack cycles. Exactly. So if we did rotate out... Um the time of Raven's cycle, we would have been forced to just make more cards in in some later set that would have made summer and winter states possible just to keep all those cards functional. Otherwise, we would have been effectively rotating those cards, too. Right. So it was this big mess. There was also no way that rotation was going to ever be able to get rid of something like influence, for example, if we wanted to just get re- eliminate influence from the game, or if we wanted to eliminate shadows from the game, for example, we couldn't do that with rotation because it's too, those mechanics are too spread across too many different product lines. Um, I, mean, I mean, yeah, we could have got there eventually, but it would have taken like six years for all of that stuff to rotate out, and it was just, it's not what we not what the game needed. Uh, do you expect a significant dip, dip in sales over the next year for the existing uh, first edition product? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think some dip is inevitable. I think it's open to interpretation as to like how it remains to be seen. I should say how big that dip is going to be. Um, I mean, we did. Um, we, we are we fully expect that the Warden Psycho will not sell as well. As some of the earlier cycles, and and we've we planned for that. Um, but you know, our our hope is that I mean, Gen Con 2015 really isn't all that far away, and no. the new core set is going to be amazing. Well, actually, I have a yep. follow up on first edition that I think is probably pressing for a lot of players. Okay. Uh, well, we've already seen Warhammer Invasion become complete, but FFG say that they would continue reprinting the existing uh, sets as needed. Um, is that, will first edition of Game of Thrones become complete in a similar way, but still offer that reprint? Or is it going to be, is the existing stock going to be phased out as second edition gets rolling? Well, once, once second edition is launched, that is going to be the definitive version of the game. So um, we will we will not continue to reprint the first edition product. We will just allow it to sell out. Okay. Good to know. First game we've run into with that uh, kind of happening. So so we actually, or I assume that if something were to sell out prior to second edition launching, 
then, I mean, it doesn't make fiscal sense for Fantasy Flight Games to reprint anything. Um, yeah, I mean, at the same time, I mean, we do, I mean, we do want to sell the first edition product that we already have, and right. including, and we want to continue selling stuff, you know, between now and, and Gen Con uh, as well, and. Um, so I mean, I, we we've accounted for that, and we um, I think we have been pretty strategic with our with our inventory levels. Um, so yeah, it's I think we're in a pretty good place with that. Cool. Go ahead, Aaron. Okay. Um, what about the size and price point of the new core set? Is it going to be containing eight like full playable tournament ready decks? Is it um, with eight factions? What's the price point for that going to look like? Right, so um, the uh, I wouldn't expect any um, any real deviation in in price uh, with the core set. I mean, it's, I think our current core sets are are where they should be price wise. Um, so the, all eight factions will be represented in the core set. However, with a single core set, you will not be able to make a full sixty card deck with just a single faction. You will have to combine um, two factions plus some neutral cards to make um, to make a, a sixty card deck. But we have created a way um, for that uh, for that to be possible. By um, we have a new uh, loyalty mechanic that is uh, very similar to the loyalty system in Warhammer Conquest. And we're going to bring that same idea over into Game of Thrones. So certain cards in each faction will be flagged as loyal, and you can only use those cards if you have the corresponding house card for that faction. But um, other cards that are in that faction that are not loyal, you will be able to uh, splash into another deck. That's really awesome. Yeah. So there's there's actually a lot of deck-building potential out of just the one core set. And you inadvertently answered another of my questions there. I was kind of wondering if to conserve, you know, space and production costs and end price for com- for customers, if the uh, if the minimum deck size would need to go down to fifty. But uh, sounds like it's still going to be sixty. No, we don't really see a need um, to to change the deck size. Um, so I think. Um, I think we have already said um, somewhere on the website that um, that the core set will include um, agendas, mm-hmm. and there will it's one agenda for each faction. And you can think of it as like the reverse side of the house card. So you might oh, you cool. your house. So your house card will be on one side. It will say like you are House Lannister, and then you, on the reverse side of that, it will say something like uh, support of House Lannister. And the text, you know, like you may run non-loyal House Lannister cards in your deck, and that's your agenda. That sounds so cool. very interesting. Yeah. So and if the assumption is that all eight factions can play with each other, like there's no restrictions that say, you know, faction X can't play with faction Y. I mean, the quick permutations of that are that in the core set alone, there are 28 different combination possibilities. Not counting solo houses. So if you include eight solo houses, you actually have 36 combination possibilities. Yes, I believe you are correct. Um, for the support of, can you include any, like, say you're a support of Lannister? 
Could you include multiple out-of-house loyal characters? Could you include, like, Martell and Targaryen non-loyal characters? No, uh, it's just a single faction. So okay. the, the, you're, it's still the same rule where you can only have one agenda. Mm-hmm. And so, so if you take the agenda that says, you know, like, support of House Lannister, um, one, of the, your, one of your costs associated with that is that you are forsaking any other agenda option. And so, and so for that, you get to you get the privilege of splashing in, you know, non-loyal House Lannister cards into your deck. So you so won't be able much to. The idea is there's no more splash. There's yeah. no more throwing in a random card from a random house. Exactly, and which also means that there is no gold penalty. So we we're, we have eliminated the gold penalty rule, and so at at least out of the core set. A deck will either be like pure faction or or a mixture of two factions, and that's it. Plus neutral cards. Doesn't necessarily mean that we wouldn't someday print a, a different kind of agenda that would allow you to mix more, you know, additional factions uh, with maybe some additional restrictions um, in there. I mean, there's there's lots of possibilities there. Right. So I I also notice. And you may not be able to extrapolate on this. I noticed you're using the word faction and not the word house. I've been playing this game for <laughs> 11 years, and no one has ever used the term faction instead of house. The neutral yes. faction. Well, okay. well, in all of the other LCGs, they are factions. So take that how you will. Right. So um, I, I guess I will... So we we will officially announce what all eight factions are in the core set, but uh, we we consciously decided to call them factions in the new edition. Nice. So that we we have reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, well, I've got another uh, core set 2.0 question that I think is. Uh, a pressing concern for at least me, if not for anybody else. Uh, can can we finally expect to see the dreaded white borders become a thing of the past? Uh, it seems like all the newer LCGs have gone to this kind of full bleed art frame uh, without the need for the borders. Please just think, eliminate borders. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that borders are a thing of the past. <sighs> nice. Hell yes. Awesome. Also, for each of your other core sets, you guys had a core set release tournament at Gen Con. This is the only game, and again, I haven't that played matters. all of them. Yeah, the only game that matters. <laughs> that can be played in two formats as well, both Melee and Joust. Um, is there a, any sense or any discussion yet um, in terms of will there be a singular core set release tournament, or will there actually be one for each of the formats? Uh, that's a great question that I am not able to answer because ultimately it's not my decision. Okay. So I'll have, I'll have to defer that to the organized play team. So I'm sure that, I'm sure that we will do whatever space permits. So. Well, speaking of that course at release tournament, you know, I asked you what your expect, expectations were for sales of first edition over the next year. Do you expect the Game of Thrones second edition core set to to be your best seller? You know, at least from a you know a launch standpoint. Well, it's certainly, I mean, it's certainly our goal. Every time we put out a new game, we we want it to be the biggest game that we've ever done. Um, I think we did achieve that with Conquest, where I mean, we 
Netrunner was took everybody by surprise, and especially us. Um, we knew Netrunner was a good game, but we did not expect it to take off, you know, like the way that it did. It was very surprising, very pleasing. And then Conquest, in many ways, was an even bigger surprise when we just, I mean, the the launch for Conquest, you know, so far has surpassed uh, what Netrunner did in the same amount of time. So, I mean, we're already in our third printing of the Conquest core set. Wow. So that's that's very exciting, very encouraging. And, um, yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, Game of Thrones will do even better. Well, I know you said you're not involved in organized player. That's not in your job description. But I understand that Netrunner two years ago had a cap of 64 people at their core set release. Warhammer, I believe, had a 96, if I remember correctly. Um, I would just ask you to pass it down to set a cap number over 200. Yeah, we're <laughs> we yeah. believe. All right, I, I will. I will see what I can do. Um, you may have to. Uh, you may have to petition uh, Gen Con to give us more table space. But <laughs> also, if humanly possible, like most of our listeners, most of us are probably going to want to get our three core sets as soon as humanly possible. So many, many corsets is probably a good thing. Agreed. Yeah, so pretty much Michael, we except we expect you to sleep on a couch somewhere in your hotel room to be filled with Game of Thrones corsets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Top to bottom. Alright. Duly noted. <laughs> well who's el- who else got a question? I'll I defer think- to let one of the other gentlemen speak. Um, I think that covers most of it because that faction thing was like my main curiosity right now. Um, is there anything else that you guys can tell us that you've learned from other uh, LCG launches that you'll be bringing over, over? Like perhaps something having to do with responses and cancels, but anything in general? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the I think Nate explained in his uh, letter to the community that we have on our website that... Um, we learned a lot about, you know, like timing systems and um, how to structure them uh, over the years. And uh, I think we we broke a lot of good ground with the Star Wars OCG uh, with how that timing system works. And we we kind of took that idea and, he, and refined it a little bit with Conquest. And we're going to continue doing that with Game of Thrones. We're going to take like all of the all the best core principles of the conquest timing system. And we're going to, I guess, massage them a little bit to make them, uh, fit, uh, game of Thrones. Uh, well, so there's, and we're going to be a lot better about, um, the, the, the phrasing of the abilities to make it clear, you know, like what type of ability or, uh, or reaction that this is. So like we have, we're adding a classification of, effects that are just interrupts and they're just going to say right on the card interrupt you know colon and so anything that is a cancel or a save is going to be just labeled as an interrupt and that's going to be defined in the rule book what an interrupt means and how it's different from say an action or a reaction Can I, um, I, something that confuses new players about saves and just a random thought that occurred to me is that since saves are really dodges is there anybody who can get anything like that 
because like a save isn't the effect is means the effect never take place. So they're not being saved; they're just dodging, and it always confuses the crap out of new players. I remember it took forever for me to get my head around that. Um, right. So it's um, yeah, it's I mean it's it's a prevent effect. You know, it's um, I, I mean I guess we've we you know we we have an affection for the word save. I guess just you know because we have an affection for a lot of words in the language of the game and save as I think one of those words that we are just, that we feel kind of affectionate about. So I would like to keep it because, um, it feels like it fits, uh, with the game, but that doesn't, I mean, we still have a lot of playtesting to do between now and Gen Con, and we're going to make a conscious effort to include, um, some playtesters that have never played Game of Thrones before. And so we'll see. Um, we'll see what comes out of some of those playtest sessions. And there's there's plenty of plenty of time to consider the language of the game. Uh, Michael, I, I have a question for you. Um, one thing our listeners may not know is you actually like to play this game. Um, there's been several times I've been in a tournament where you've just been looking for friendly pickup games. You just like to sit down and play when you don't yeah. have other duties that you have to attend to. So, um, I don't know, maybe you could share a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned your affection for, you know, the word save. I don't know, maybe in general you could just share with us your thoughts on, you know, Game of Thrones and your feeling about this game in general. I mean, just almost, maybe not so much from a, you know, employee of FFG, but as, as a fan of the game. Right, yes. I mean, I'm glad you asked because you're right. I mean, I love Game of Thrones. I've been playing it since 2007 when I was first introduced to the game. So I mean, I I bought uh, I I bought the CC uh, the CCG era cards. I bought Five Kings edition and worked my way backward through Iron Throne block and West and Winter edition block and um and um, even stuff that had rotated like Valerian edition and Ice and Fire edition. I just because I just I li- I liked the game. I just I really bought into it, you know, deeply. And um, enjoy playing all formats. I still, I, I still am always up for a, a legacy, kind of a classic environment game, uh, if I can ever find a player uh, to uh, to play with. Um, but it's, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and I, I still play the game to this day. I still play, even though I am part of the second edition design team. I still have first edition decks that I play on a regular basis. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much invested in this game um, on kind of a personal level, and um, it's very important for me that um, that the game remains uh, true to its roots, and that it still feels like Game of Thrones when you sit down to play it, and that uh, all the fundamentals of the game uh that we've you know that we've over the years we've come to associate with you know this is game of thrones and this is what makes the game the game that all those elements are still there in second edition can i add two personal follow-ups to that sure what what decks do you like Uh, i i have played um i played just about everything over the years um i first got into the game i was really into Greyjoy, and i played almost nothing but Greyjoy for at least the first year. Wow, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I went to um I, I, I went to Shycon three. Oh, I forgot um, that. Yeah, and that was I mean I met I met some of you there for the first time. I met John Bruno for the first time. 
and um, I met Will for the first time there, and uh, a bunch of people. Um, uh, K. Tom, I met, and um, yeah, all kinds of people. And anyway, I showed up there with, and I was still I was very new to the game, and I was terrible at it. But I, I mean, but I had a I had a Stark deck that I played uh, in the multiplayer event, and my first my first table was you know uh, Bruno was at that table, and I don't remember the other two players that were there, but yeah, Bruno won. Um, <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> And uh, and I remember not, I remember doing very little in that game actually, uh, uh, aside from just kind of like I had fun, but I mean I didn't do a whole lot. And I had a Greyjoy deck uh, in in the Joust, and um, everybody at the time everybody was playing the Kings of Salt and Rock agenda because that was kind of the new thing because forty five card deck size. I mean that's that's pretty good, but I could not get my deck down to forty five cards. There were too many cards that I wanted to oh, use, no. <laughs> so I was just. So, like I said, I was total. I was very new to the game. So I had I had this like monstrosity of a thing that was probably was like sixty five cards at least, you know. And please tell me you still use Kings of Salt and Rock agenda. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. I did not. Uh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean, I won. I, I won a couple of games, you know, but uh, but that was about it. So that was a lot of fun. And these days. I mean, my current deck is I always like Targaryen, and um, you know, it's just it's fun. You know, I mean, I like ambush stuff. I like I like shadows. I like burn, and you can do all of that stuff with Targaryen. So, so that's fun. And uh, I did build a uh, Dark Wings, Dark Words deck out of Baratheon, mm-hmm. and um, that was you know that was an interesting deck too. Part of the problem though is that I played a lot of my games against Nate, and I lose a lot. Uh, it's hard, I have a hard time like evaluating the quality of my decks because because um, I don't win very many games. Because um, you know, anyway, but yeah, I love I love the game. That was actually the next question. Can you beat Nate? So I can. I have. I, I can beat Nate. I have beaten Nate many times. I just can't. I, I'm a long way from beating him fifty percent of the time. No. Well, speaking of beating Nate, several years ago, um, Fantasy Flight Games did a user, or, or excuse me, a player interaction um, event where players submitted decks specific to a block, and then a Fantasy Flight Games player basically piloted each of those decks, and you guys had a tournament against each other. Um, did you participate in that? Boy, yeah. I mean, I now that you mention it, I I do re- I do remember that, and I yes, I think I did participate in that. I bet it's been a long time since I thought about that. Yes, I definitely did participate in that. I cannot remember though, like what the, what deck I was running. Um, okay, I I do remember and, Nate won. So clearly, your you know <laughs> dominance over him had not begun yet. So yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm. I feel like I am better against Nate in with the second edition of the game. Interesting. So, yes, I'm not sure what that means, but yeah, I mean, I feel my win percentage is a little bit better in second edition than it is in first edition. Okay. In second edition, Will's better than Greg too. <laughs> oh my goodness! Maybe I'll finally actually win something. <laughs> so, uh, based on that comment, what you're t- Telling me is in house. You guys are already playtesting second edition. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, we have, Nate and I have been working together on second edition since we got back from Gen Con. And, um, it's, it's mostly been us. I mean, we've got a couple of other members of the LCG team that will, um, help us, uh, play test melee. But we basically, we've been splitting our time between both melee and joust. And, um, but yeah, so I mean, Nate and I have played, I don't know, hundreds of games at this point, it feels like. It's just many, many games. And, um, Wait, so what's your favorite so house in the new set? In the new set? Um, hard to, hard to say. Um, there is, there are so many possibilities. There are, there are combinations of like house, of like faction and support, supporting faction. There are combinations that I haven't even tried yet. Um, I've watched other people try them and think, oh yeah, that looks cool. I need to try that myself. But I just, there's a lot to, there's a lot to experiment with. So, and I mean, we're also, I mean, since we're still designing, um, mechanics and, and the cards and stuff. I mean, it's like, it's everything is so frequently updated that it's, um, it's hard to, it's impossible for me to choose a favorite at this point. But I mean, the, the game is definitely headed in all the right directions. You know, following, Nate's, uh, oh, go ahead, Will. Oh, I was just say following up on that, since you're, you're, uh, kind of splitting time between joust and melee, um, I was kind of curious. I, I don't know if it's far enough along to say since everything's still being worked on. Um, are, are titles uh, making a return, or are we looking at, at handling Melee in, in a little bit of a different way? No, I mean, the so far we have been playing Melee games with titles, but they are different. I figured that would be necessary, if nothing else, than for Hand of the King. Right. Um, so yes, I mean they they are different, and that's all I can really say at this time. That's fine. That at least gives me the broad stroke. The um, you know the announcement that Nate made his letter to the community. He outlined a number of changes, and I assume that the changes that he outlined those are kind of written in stone. But as you play test, are there still rules changes? framework changes, you know, that sort of thing that are still getting fleshed out at this time? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, um, you know, there, there's a lot of experimentation, you know, that we've done, you know, with, like, like, like just set up something that we have, and it's it's been fun. And I think we're at a place now where it's still, it, it feels very true in spirit to what you currently know as set up. But I, but it's better. So yeah, it's it's exciting. Wow. So I mean, I think from a certain standpoint, we can we can expect little changes all across the board, as well as the big changes we've already been told. Oh, yes, for sure. And um, like the we we said how we've eliminated a draw cap, for example, from the game and added in the idea of a reserve value, which is a new stat that's printed on every plot card. And that's the reserve value is just, that's your hand size limit that is enforced in the taxation phase. Do so you're free to, Oops, yeah, you're free to draw as many cards as you So like if you, if you can draw 10 cards in the challenges phase, that's fine. But um, your reserve value might only, you're going to be discarding cards in the taxation phase if you draw that many cards. Are we keeping seven? Uh, that's the current plan. I mean, we have something that we talked 
know that there's really a need to deviate from that. So, but yeah, not set in stone, but yeah, they're currently the same seven phases. Cool. Well, Michael, one of the things I wanted to share with you, you know, I guess a little pat on the back to you and back to you and Nate and Fantasy Flight Games is, you know, I, I actually think first edition right now is the most diverse it's ever been. I think someone can walk into a tournament with a competitive deck from every single house and most likely two or three or four different agendas or even no agenda for every house and have a highly competitive deck. But personally, you know, having played with Carrion Birds for six years and Castell into the Rock for six and a half years, and Flame Kiss beyond that because it was a carryover from the CCG, I had actually kind of grown bored with our current environments. You know, there's just too many cards that have been out there for too many years. And I'm really, really looking forward to this. I mean, I, I can't explain. I, I was actually thinking this might be my last world. So the, the game for me personally, and I don't want to speak for anybody else, but for mm-hmm. me personally, it was just stale. I was tired of looking at the same stuff over and over again. And even when a new chapter pack was released with new mechanics, it was such a small percentage of the overall card pool it didn't make that big of a difference. So, um, you know, the reboot for me definitely um, recharged me and made me say, all right, I want this core set in my hands now. Can Gen Con be tomorrow? So, <laughs> so Greg, I'm glad that you feel that way. So the, most of the community, from what I've heard, is really excited for this. That don't really seem excited are the people that got in fairly recently and didn't realize a reboot was coming. Do you have anything to say to the people? Just, you know, message of hope for the those who bought in recently? I mean, it's... All I can really say at this time that may not even satisfy them, um, it, you know, it's just thank you for getting into the game and, and uh, by the community for what it is because the community is really what makes Game of Thrones special and you know just get out there and 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 in events and um see what uh what the veteran players are so excited about because it's going to be awesome i actually like the way you put that and uh like you said maybe for for someone who's invested several hundred dollars over the last few months you know it may not mean much but I would also say someone who's invested uh, several hundred dollars over the last few months probably hasn't gotten out and spent time with this community. Uh, having just gotten back from Worlds, you know, many times after an event in the evening, we would all go to a restaurant, Joe Sensors or a bar, and there would be anywhere between 30 and 60 Game of Thrones players all hanging out. And I didn't see gamers for any of the other games, and I'm not dissing any of them. I'm just saying that there is something special about this community, about the relationships and friendships that you form. You know, even even if I was considering, you know, prior to Worlds that I was going to phase myself out of the game, you know, in term I had made some friendships that were going to last a long time. So, It's absolutely worth traveling for the people. Cannot be emphasized enough. Agreed. It's crazy, you know, like Greg said, with these, with these great uh, friendships formed uh through this game i mean good grief a month ago i went to kyle's wedding and had a part in it and literally the only reason i know that this crazy guy 
uh, from the Iowa Illinois border area is because of Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, that's the reason I know all of you, and the only reason I know all of you. <laughs> so it's a great community, and uh, it's really a privilege how close we can be with not only the community but uh, with Fantasy Flight Games. So it's pretty awesome. Well, I think that sounds like we uh, drew this segment to a close uh, on a very, very good note there. Mike? All right. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, guys. Thank you for being thank willing you, to Mike. come join us. Thanks for coming on, especially man. Especially on the road yeah, and all. You. Yeah, of course. And um, I would be happy to have another conversation uh, at some point in the future. Thank you. I love the podcast. I'm gonna. I really am going to get caught up on all the episodes. I, I promise. How many and, are you uh, behind? There's quite a pile. <laughs> I'm on episode five. <laughs> I mean, and this is episode uh, what one eighty four. So <laughs> I, I, I will. I refuse to admit how far behind I am. <laughs> well, okay. In that case, I guess we can at least rule out you just stealing all our sweet refresh ideas from the last few podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Props and slops. Get the fuck off there. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Too long without you cursing. We were due. Yeah, man, Daryl's on his best behavior with Mike on the show. <laughs> Daryl messaged me to be nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> be nice to Mike. Amazing. I like Mike. <laughs> uh, I was so nice, I did him a favor and just didn't say anything the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> best gift Daryl huh? has given, I guess. Does that make you happy, Team Covenant? Huh? What? Daryl's just proving that he can uh, he he can refrain from that so that he can get thrown in on uh, on a little commentary next year. Right. Every episode that features Daryl is now going to be just me laughing in the background when something funny is said, and that's it. It's the silence not that you deserve, but that you need. <laughs> Alrighty. Well so, then. <laughs> so let's let's start by propping Mike. Yeah, for sure. Yep. He was super open with us, so that was a lot of information, a lot of good information, some new information. And really good to hear from for him to take the time out to do that while he's you know out on the road, traveling for work and everything. So. Yep. Mad props. All right. Uh, I'd like to prop Danny, as in uh, Kyle's wife, because she was awesome. I'm also going to prop Robin and Kristen, because it was really nice to meet them. But I actually hung out with Danny quite a bit, and she was super sweet, and she gave me contact fluid when I needed it. Nice. There you go. That's why you have his, uh, or her, contact fluid. I was really confused when when Kyle emailed that information out. (laughs) All right, then. Wait, he emailed that information out? Yeah. In, in the email uh, podcast thread today, he, like at the end of one of them, he was like, by the way, you have my wife's contact solution. Oh, oops. That's funny. Uh, Kyle, I owe you one. I'll mail you contact solution. 
Yeah. No more props and slaps, guys? Jeez. You know? Uh, well, I can, I know, I want to prop the whole world's experience. Uh, I felt that everything was uh, great. I felt that the venue, though still small, um, was it was still handled as well, I think, as it could have been. I know that there was some early frustration there whenever people, everyone was on like the waiting list and they were worried about how many people we could fit and things like that. But it's awesome that everybody got to play and you know, we got to hang out with everybody and and uh, rings could buy like 39 car bombs uh, <laughs> down at the Ooh. bar that night. So, you know, there was that. <laughs> and uh, And I'm glad I didn't. I didn't puke the entire weekend. It was a good time. That is a that is a really good accomplishment. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna echo the prop to the experience of the community, and I want to start listing names, but I know the second I do, I'm just gonna forget people and <laughs> get yelled at. Yeah. So I'm just gonna prop like everyone as a whole. Yeah, I mean that sounds like a really really simple easy idea. Uh, had a great time, met some some new folks for sure. Uh, got to chat with a, a couple of the folks from outside my country. Of course, the the Thunder Bay guys again, and and both Toms uh, from uh, England and uh, Australia for a bit. Uh, and got to talk to Alvaro again for a while. So uh, it was it was a good time all around, and even got to uh, I think um, I don't know just. See some friends I hadn't seen in quite a while. Had a lot of the, a lot more of the old guard back this year than I expected. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. maybe we'll tackle worlds in in a little more detail uh, next week instead. But uh, that, that's the the overview. And yeah, aside from that, since the last episode, I haven't had time to do anything else to give props to, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, what? what is new? I don't even know what I could slop at this point. Like, it, I mean, it was a great weekend. I, the only thing I want to slop is, is going back to the reality of, of having a day job. I know. <laughs> you know it I is mean, the how, worst. Yeah. It, I mean, it, the, the whole experience, the whole weekend uh, for us card gamers is just so... So fun. Like, you're a little exhausted, obviously, the whole time. You're going to sleep late, waking up early, but you're, you're with all of your friends. Like, you know, there's so many of these Thrones players that I consider, uh, good friends. And, uh, you know, I don't know. The, the whole experience is just really great. And then, and then I come back to my regular, uh, I wish I could say it was a nine to five, but, uh, you know, my, my regular job, I'm just like, oh my god, this sucks. This sucks. Selling technology to old people sucks. <laughs> well, I hear there's a, according to Damon on Facebook, there's a new designer spot open at FFG. Yeah, I, I think saw it's that. an app developer job. No, I don't think so. All right, well, putting it, putting in my app. Put in. So I worked at a KFC when I was 16, and that gave me the skills I need. <laughs> oh man. So I want to slop Stroms, Hines, and Dark Nodge. Why is that? You want to uh, slop them? Yeah, oh, I'm slapping the shit out of them. So th- those are like the three people I basically build with. But I was I had talked to Dark Nodge because Gen Con went so well by building with them. And then I was like, 
dude, guys, I'll help with New York. It's not like I'm going to tell anybody. And Dave was like, no, you can't. You're building with the Canadians. Privacy, they can't know what we're doing for Worlds. Yada, yada. So I get to Worlds, and he and Heinz are not only playing the same deck. He, Heinz, and Dark Nodge built it together, and none of them (laughs) fucking bothered to tell me. But when I was like, hey, it's fine, I was told no. Because they thought you were going to talk to us. I thought, no, they thought I was going to talk to each other. <laughs> they were both just scared I was going to tell them. What's wrong? Like, it's made it's no so sense. Fun. That's another fun yeah. part of Game of Thrones. <laughs> so, sloppy, sloppy dicks. Mm, that deck was mighty tasty, though. That deck was great. It's uh, the Targ Sales, for those of you who don't know. Fantastic deck. Or as I call it, Targ Balls Deep. That's the official deck name. That that sounds like a pretty good name. I've not heard them say that yet. No. I don't have anything else. I, yeah. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. Nothing to prop, nothing to slop on this end. That, that was it. Yeah, I'm hoping to spend a little time immersing myself in uh, pop culture again this week, so I've got, got a little more for next. Definitely. I, I will have tons more next time. And uh, I don't know what we're doing for our episode after this one, but I might have a little turning report action going, hey, all of the 2C1C hosts went above 500. That is worth something. I think so. <laughs> At least I think so. Yeah. Play particularly well. Pretty sure everybody was betting over 500. Exactly. Yeah, no, everyone definitely betted over 500. So we can at least hear a little bit more maybe uh, next week. We don't have to detail every game, but a little bit about what deck we played and why uh, I think think would be good and let folks know what we did see in the meta. Yep. Hope everybody liked our interview. Hopefully we'll get other uh, people from FFG. They're definitely, I have a, a long yet distinguished list of people I'd love to get on the show in the future. So if you liked this, let us know. And you know how you can let us know? You can email us at two champs at a chump. Oh, I'm sorry, two champs one chump at gmail.com. Follow on Twitter, twitter.com slash two champs one chump. And uh, like the Facebook page. We are so close to 600 likes. Oh, I know. I can tell your grandmothers to like our page. It'll be fine. We're so close. And uh, there's something else. Oh, Google Plus. (laughs) Make your Gmail accounts now, baby. <laughs> and uh, there was some other thing I forgot. Uh, Twitter? The Twitter. No, Twitter. I think it was... Uh, Danger Zone! Can anybody hear me at all? Can anybody hear me at all?